chapter 5. I'll read the first 12 verses, but we'll consider particularly the third of the Beatitudes, uh, which is found in verse 5. So Matthew chapter 5. Let us give our ear to the word of God. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Let's pray for the preaching. O holy God of heaven, we come now to our Lord Jesus Christ's magnificent and glorious benedictions given to those who are in the kingdom of heaven. And we pray, Father, that the minister would preach faithfully according to the word of God, that uh, you would enable him to preach what may be difficult for the flesh to grasp, uh, for the heart to take hold of. And so for these things, Lord, we need the demonstration of the uh, Holy Spirit's power in the preaching of the word. And so we, we would you send your spirit now to fill the preacher's mouth and also the hearts of those who will now hear the word of God. We pray that you would do these things, Lord, that we may exalt our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you would um, open our eyes to see the wonderful and wondrous things that come out of the law of God. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as you know, we have been in Christ's Beatitudes, these eight sayings, uh, part of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And in these Beatitudes, he proclaims blessings on those who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, to show the citizens of heaven who do not often feel blessed. As you have read through these eight Beatitudes, you see that the citizens of the kingdom often mourn. They're often poor in spirit. And I shouldn't just say often, they are. This is their identity. They are poor in spirit. They mourn. They're meek. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. They are merciful, and so on. And so it is the case that often the citizens of heaven do not feel particularly blessed. But the Lord Jesus Christ promises blessings to those who are such as these. Now last week, we considered the second characteristic of the blessed man or woman. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we remember that this was a holy mourning, a holy sorrow primarily over our sin, a recognition of how evil we have been, 
uh, how our sin has been against God and how the satisfaction of our sin required the death of Jesus Christ, that we have pierced him with many sorrows. We have crucified the Lord of glory, and this causes us to mourn. But in the gospel, we find our comfort as well, that Christ willingly and out of love came to die for sinners, even the chief. And we find comfort when we repent of our sin, knowing the sweet embrace of the father, as in the parable of the prodigal son, when we return to him by faith in Jesus Christ. Even so, that it was the primary mourning, but there are other kinds of righteous mournings that we considered uh, in that last sermon. Uh, remembering that all righteous mourning, all righteous weeping, all sorrow that is truly godly is blessed of the Lord. You remember that Christ wept when Lazarus died. That was not because of Christ's sin, because he is sinless, that he mourns, but he mourns on the effect of sin. And when we mourn on the effect of sin, we find comfort from the Lord. And our blessing that is promised to us is that every righteous tear will be wiped away by the hand of God. That is his promise. So blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And tonight we consider the third mark of happiness or blessedness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, on the face of it, this seems contrary to what we see in the world, doesn't it? Uh, we perceive that the proud and the haughty, um, the arrogant men seem to own and run the world. That certainly would have been the perception of Christ's first disciples in the first century, as you're well aware. Rome and its arrogant and prideful Caesars seem to be in control. And today you might think of the techno-oligarchs and the prideful politicians who seem to run everything. Uh, we see the immoral uh, who are prideful. They flaunt their sinful lifestyle with pride, and they seem to have the world at their beck and call. And the Christian is the one who gets sued by the world when they take a stand for the word of God. So the question is, who is truly blessed? And Christ says, not these that you perceive to run the world. They are not the ones who are blessed, but the meek, the meek Christian are. You know, the interesting thing is, other than sometimes to stomp and persecute them, uh, who takes note of the meek? Christian. Nobody does. Nobody seems to. But Christ says God does. Even the church at times doesn't seem to notice the truly meek. It's the arrogant and proud who often, even in the church, who seem to get all the notice. After all, who takes any note of the quiet housewife who quietly tends to home and hearth and raises her children? She's actually probably sneered at for not having some grand career as the world sees it. Who pays attention to the Christian man who quietly labors for his wife and his family, um, laboring as unto the Lord, but is not anything in the world's eyes? In fact, again, a man who's probably despised and is laughed at. What about the minister who has maybe 20 congregants that he faithfully preaches to every Lord's Day? Or the single man or woman who quietly serves in their singleness, their, sing, uh, their neighbors, faithfully as unto the Lord, not drawing attention to themselves for their good deeds as so many do on TikTok and social media. Well, the meek 
are not noticed by the world, but Christ says God does, and God blesses them. And in fact, they will inherit the earth. Uh, and that's the reversal that, uh, of what we often perceive and see in this world. But we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And if we would do so, we would cultivate the grace of meekness, which is of great value in God's eyes. And that's what the scripture we will see tonight says, that meekness is of great value in God's eyes, and he blesses the man or woman who is meek. Now, there are, I think, uh, several parodies of what meekness is. We'll have to correct our understanding of it. But meekness is of great value in God's eyes, and Christ who, as you have heard in Matthew 11, is himself called meek, greatly blesses those who are of himself. So, our theme tonight is blessed are the meek, blessed are the meek, and we'll consider it under the two heads that have been our pattern thus far in the Beatitudes. First, the character. Second, the blessing. So first, the character. Blessed are the meek. Uh, so let's understand this grace of meekness that the Christian is to possess. Now, the Greek word for meekness uh, suggests someone who is gentle, mild, and pleasant. Gentle, mild, and pleasant. It's the grace of God that does this in a person. Uh, you have seen the grace of God. I have seen it. You have likely seen it if you've been a Christian any time. Maybe you've experienced it. That can take the hardest of men and women and just completely turn their character around, such that they are now among the most gentle of all souls. And pleasant as well. Now, meekness does not make a Christian a punching bag. That's not exactly what meekness is. But by the Spirit's help, it actually gives them self-control. Control over their own spirit. You know, we'll consider this a little bit, but you know it takes a great amount of strength to remain meek and humble in the sight of great provocation and trial and distress. So a meek Christian is actually a very strong Christian. There's actually a strength from the Lord that enables one to be meek and kind in the face of difficulty and provocation, to be fair when others are evil. But that is what meek people are like. And how different this is from so many so-called heroes of the Christian world today. I was thinking of one popular man, a very deceptive man, who runs a blog, you probably know what it is, uh, whose subtitle is Theology That Bites Back. That is not meekness, friends. That's not meekness. Uh, we read that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient in, listen to this, meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. That's 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. So in meekness, we instruct even those who oppose themselves. And meekness is sorely needed in our Reformed churches today then. Well, with that then, as just an introduction to what meekness is and some of the pitfalls we find, we must recognize this truth here that Christ is preaching. One can hardly be a Christian without this grace. It is present in those that are saved. Uh, all of these characteristics are present in those who are of the kingdom of God. That's what Christ has taught. That's what we have seen. Meekness is the product of the new birth. It comes with it. Because meekness is in opposition to our flesh's pride. It is required. Meekness is required, you're going to see this, in order to submit to God. 
One must be meek in order to submit to God. A meek man or woman admits what they are in God's eyes. The meek man or woman, in relation to God, sees they are firstly a creature of the dust, and secondly, that they are a great sinner. And that requires a great amount of meekness. And this is where meekness arises. And the flow of the Beatitudes makes this plain. First Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see yourself as empty and devoid of righteousness, that you need Christ. Second beatitude, blessed are they that mourn. You see yourself as a great sinner that needs to repent of their sin. You need Christ again. Third beatitude, blessed are the meek. We are humbled. There is no pride. We are not self-righteous. Our arrogancy is destroyed. God's grace makes us meek. We say with the Apostle Paul and we admit, there is nothing good in me that is in my flesh. And so I say I will submit to what God says to me and what God says of me. And that's meekness at its root. But meekness can be distinguished from humility. They are very closely related, but can be distinguished, though both humility and meekness are opposed to pride and arrogance. There are two components to meekness that would be helpful to understand. And it mirrors, as many, as all graces do, um, the greatest commandment, love to God and love to neighbor. Meekness is firstly then, in relation to God, gracious submission to God. And secondly, when it comes to neighbor, it is gentleness to men. So you can see it's gracious submission to God and gentleness to men. And you'll find those two characteristics perhaps best exemplified by two men in your Bible. The first is imperfect, of course, which is Moses, You probably remember, children, in Numbers 12, when Aaron and Miriam uh, rebelled against him. What did the scripture say of Moses? That uh, the man Moses was very meek above all men upon the face of the earth. You remember this, that even in his calling by God, he didn't want the spotlight, did he? He said, send somebody else. Somebody else can speak better than I can. Uh, He did it, though, in submission to God's will. He did it because God said you must. Whereas Aaron and Miriam in that text in Numbers 12 were exalted and puffed up in their eyes. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. And as you know, the Lord dealt with them and defended Moses. And here you're starting to see the blessedness of being a meek man or woman your understanding that God will defend you. Right? This is what makes the meek man or, or woman uh, strong in the Lord. They understand that for righteousness sake, the Lord will defend them. They don't have to defend themselves. And you remember that Miriam became leprous. But again, you find Moses' meekness, right? What could he have said of Miriam? Um, he could have said, good, you have gotten exactly what you deserve, sister. <laughs> But what does Moses do? He cried unto the Lord, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. He took no revenge, but prayed for her. Moses was very meek above all other men on the face of the earth. Now, he's the imperfect example. But we have the perfect example of meekness, don't we, children? Which is our Lord Jesus. He submitted, you think of our definition of meekness, he submitted to the Lord in all things according to the flesh, didn't he? Right? According to the human nature. Not my will, but thine be done. 
his gentleness and kindness in the face of provocation are so legendary in a sense that even the unbeliever knows it. Such that he would say in Matthew eleven twenty nine, I am meek and lowly in heart. Even when he entered Jerusalem as her king, it was said, Behold thy king come unto thee, meek. Matthew 21, verse 5. You know, children of God, it is actually this quality of Jesus Christ that allows you with such confidence to come unto him, isn't it? That's why he says, come unto me, for I am meek. You think about this, you understand, don't you, his gentleness, his kindness, his compassion. To look on you, a sinner who have rebelled against the Lord, who you know is liable to the wrath of God. But when he says, I am meek, what is that but an invitation to you? I am gentle. I am kind. I will embrace you. I will take you, even though you have greatly provoked me and you have greatly provoked the Lord. This is meekness exemplified, where Christ, whom we have injured, says, come unto me. You see how it's tied unto him, calling unto us. I am meek. So you can come. I will give thee rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Why? For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. And so the same quality that we adore of our Savior is the same that the Christian is to cultivate in themselves by God's grace. So, I have mentioned, now we have yet had these two men as archetypes, Christ most of all. But I've mentioned that meekness is gracious submission to the Lord firstly, and then secondly, gentleness to men. So let us consider that quality of meekness that submits to the Lord's will. Uh, This will have two parts to it. The first being a submission to the will of God in the word of God. Now, what meekness does in the Christian is it submits to the word of God. The word of God says, do this, and the Christian says, I will do that. The meek do not quarrel with the word, uh, always saying, as they open the word of God, not my will, but thine be done. Now listen to how James puts it in James 1.21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and what? Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. So you see, it's a quality in the Christian that even, this is where we come to our conversion, right? Uh, We receive with meekness the word of God at our conversion, which is able to save our souls. But not just for our conversion, at all times and all points, we are to be meek when we come to the word of God. You think of how you look at the word of God. God says that I am a sinner and I need Christ. In meekness, I say, yes, Lord, I admit that. God says, I want to be worshipped in this way or that way. The meek says, yes, Lord, I I will do that. God wants me to walk in a certain way. The meek say, yes. God wants me to deny myself. The meek say, yes, Lord. So the meek always submit to the word of God. Secondly, in submission to God, the meek submit to God's will as revealed by providence. You know, one of the greatest examples uh, outside of Christ, whom we remember submits to the providence and will of God, was Eli the high priest. 
You know, when Samuel learned from the Lord that Eli's house was going to be destroyed for unfaithfulness, what did Eli say? It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. That's meekness for all of Eli's sinful qualities with his sons. That certainly is the way to go, 1 Samuel 3. And if that were emblazoned upon our hearts, beloved, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. The meek have that laid on their hearts even as they wrestle with providence. You know, the meek never say, God must do what I think must be done in my life or how I see the world going or how I see that relationship or this circumstance going. The meek always submit to the will of God even if they wrestle with him. The meek also understand that this submission to God is not, and this is important, it is not resignation oh, well, I guess this is the way it will be. But actually, meekness is willing acceptation, saying this is the will of the Lord and it is good to me. Let him do what seems him good. Why do I say that? Because I know the promise of God, the meek knows the promise of God, that all things work for good to them that love God. And so let him do what seemeth him good. It will be for my good anyhow, no matter what. We say, if we are meek, blessed be the name of the Lord who gives what I do not deserve and takes what I never earned. In trials and afflictions, this is the heart of the meek man man or woman. And the meek, of course, do not have an inordinately high view of themselves either. They know what they ha- that they have received as the saying goes, and many of you say, uh, better than I deserve, right? They say with Jacob, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies. This is the meek person. They are blessed of God. See, that's the thing. God gives such a blessedness to them, such a contentment as you saw in Psalm 37 as well. And so the meek submit to God. But then there's the other portion of it. The meek are also gentle towards men. Consider the other graces meekness is associated with in Colossians 3.12, which I think helps you understand it in its context. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. You see, that all comes together. It's almost a bundle. It's a package deal, really. Uh, The meek person is kind and gentle, not easily provoked and mild-mannered, not hateful, not malicious. Gentleness, meekness, mildness, these are Christian graces, and they belong to the Christian. You know, the meek person is not malicious, even in the face of malicious men. When provoked by the malicious, the meek do not take matters in their own hand, but they remember the 12th chapter of Romans. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, what? If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The meek overcome evil with good. And Christ is your pattern in that, and Christ is also proclaimed to be a pattern to follow by Peter. 1 Peter 2.23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So in the face of provocation, the meek commit themselves to God. And I think then, as we have read it, 
as we have considered this definition of meekness, submission to God, gentleness to men, you can now understand this beatitude in its context, which comes out of the 37th Psalm. You remember as we have read it and sung it, the Psalm's 11th verse, but the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now, we'll get to some of the blessedness in the second heading, but you see the fullness of the thought here that Christ is bringing to your memory. The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Part of the blessing then, the inheritance is contentment, peace, knowing that you are doing things according to the will of the Lord in meekness. Now, this psalm in its totality as we have read it and some parts of it is a contrast if you can look at it this way. It is the meek man's or woman's psalm. There is a contrast between the meek and the evildoer. That's what the psalm sets up. And you see evildoers, right, as we see in this world, uh, seemingly they run everything, they own everything, it seems, it seems. But the Lord tells those who are meek, they are blessed. And there are several points there. You can, we don't have time to exegete Psalm 37, but I think it helps you understand this beatitude. In its very first verse, Psalm 37 says, do not fret because of evildoers. Don't fret. You are meek. Don't fret. The meek are told to trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 3. The meek are told to delight themselves in the Lord. Verse 4. The meek are told to commit their way to the Lord. In verse 5. The meek are told to rest in the Lord and wait patiently on Him. Uh, verse 7. Uh, and then, fittingly, considering our evening service uh, sermon, Psalm 119, 1 through 8, you have seen even in Psalm 37, the law of the Lord is in the heart of the meek person in verse 31. The meek are reminded to be content with what they have. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked, verse 16 in Psalm 37. And so the meek person is a content person, content in the will of the Lord, as well as content to do things according to God's ways. Not fretting because evildoers seem to inherit the earth. And what the Lord is saying in Psalm 37 is no, absolutely not. They will not inherit the earth. They will, though it seems like they run and own everything today, the land belongs to the Christian. The world, the earth, everything belongs to the Christian. And so think of it this way then. Psalm 37 is really a wonderful meditation for you as one who is meek and one that might fret at the plight you might feel in this world and where things are going. When you see on social media, it seems like everything is going crazy, the news, everything else. Do not fret. The Lord says, because of evildoers, turn to the 37th Psalm. It is difficult. The Lord knows that it is the trial of our flesh to not be meek in the face of great evil. And so he is showing, no, by faith, be meek, be gentle, submit to the will of the Lord, not just the word of God, but providence as well. And the Lord will bless thee. Now that said, it has been cliche to say, but I will say it because it is right. Meekness is no weakness. It does not mean being a punching bag. Uh, it doesn't mean that one cannot stand firm for righteousness. No, the apostle who said to put on meekness often contended with great difficulty. And James 4.7 says, I believe our, one of our brothers prayed this way, resist the devil 
It does not say roll over for the devil. Jesus himself defended himself when it was needed in John 18, 23. Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? The apostles themselves said, We will rather obey God than man, as you well know. Some think that a meek person cannot defend themselves physically. Either, that's not the case. We are allowed for the purpose of self-defense to defend ourselves physically. Uh, keeping the sixth commandment, Luke twenty-two thirty-six. You remember the Lord said his disciples were to buy swords for necessary self-defense, nothing more. The difference is they were not provocateurs and they were not insurrectionists. But to defend their life, to succeed in the gospel, they were allowed to defend themselves. And I, I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time on that due to our time here. So I'd rather focus on the positive side, which is the Christian who is meek is rather strong, is actually stronger than those who are not. Because as I've said before, the strength that we rest on is the Lord's. With meekness, you can resist and confront wickedness and powers and principalities, proclaiming the word of God, the will of God. And you have strength in that because God shines his face on you when you do so. And when you rely wholly on the Lord and you submit to the will of God in these things, God shows you favor. That's what Jesus says. Blessed are the meek. The problem is we are tempted to not be meek because we want to take things into our own hands because there is somewhere in the bottom of our heart this nagging suspicion that God will not take care of things. If I will not take care of things the way I feel they ought to be taken care of, the evildoer must be punished by me and not by the Lord. But this meekness gives you, really, if you think of it, infinite strength that the world cannot know. You know, it takes great strength, beloved, to be gentle and to be no pushover at the same time. Right? That's divine strength and power the Christian is blessed to have. And so, as we have heard, you think of this now, even to us who are servants of the Lord, we must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. And yet, what do you find in the Reformed world? So many are brawlers. And that's a terrible sin. There's no two ways about it. But we are not called to be brawlers, we are called to be meek. Especially when we're dealing with other Christians. And Zephaniah 2.3 says, Seek meekness. Seek meekness. See, all the New Testament will teach you, children of God, that this is a grace greatly to be cultivated. Now, how do you do it? Well, first you have to recognize it is a spiritual grace. It is a spiritual gift. It is, boys and girls, if you've memorized the fruit of the Spirit, you will recognize that it is one of those. Uh, in Galatians 5.23, it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a spiritual grace. Now, children, what is the blessing of knowing it is a spiritual grace? You can ask for it, and God will give it if you ask for it. And the question is, how often have we asked or prayed for the fruit of the Spirit? How often do we do it? But if the blessing comes to the meek, should we not pray for it? If God shines on the meek, should we not pray for it? You know, you and I are to pray for it regularly, most especially, but not exclusively, in difficult and trying times. We need this grace when we deal with hard men and women. 
We need this grace when we deal with trials of every kind. To be meek, meaning in relation to God and to others. We need this grace when the will of the Lord is hard on our flesh. And it is hard to obey. And what does the Lord say to all of this? Right? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not. Why? Because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. You know, as it's heartening to hear when we have men who pray for spiritual gifts and graces, but that we would have the grace to be meek and to pray for it and to pray for all spiritual graces even more, not saying we don't pray for it, but even more than we would pray for our daily bread. Right? That's the the blessedness that comes to us. You know, we think of these promises. God has promised a blessing if I grow in meekness. What blessedness would be ours if we would cultivate spiritual graces? And so not only do we pray for it, there are many places you may learn about it. Psalm 37, you may learn it didactically, but they're also great in Colossians as we've considered that as well. But there are also great examples given narratively, children. And you know you like your Old Testament, especially stories, or narratives rather. Uh, seek to study those who have exemplified it. Men like Moses. Uh, look at uh, David, uh, especially during that time in which he was chased by Saul. You find great meekness in, the, in David, really relying on the Lord's will, not taking matters into his own hands even showing kindness and gentleness to Saul, who was persecuting him, knowing that Saul was the Lord's anointed. During that time, David truly did exemplify the grace of meekness. Look at the life of the apostles in the New Testament. But most of all, look at the life of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And uh, beloved, as you study these things and you grow in the grace what we also find is if you want the Lord to delight in you, to have that love of complacency that we have meditated on recently, the Lord delights in the man or woman that is meek. He has a special care for them. He is their defender, as he was for Moses in the face of that rebellion. But listen to what the Lord says of meekness in 1 Peter 3, 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now you likely know that comes in the context of godly women, but as every good commentator will tell you, it is a truth that transcends the female sex, that God loves a meek and quiet spirit, male or female. It is an ornament of grace. In the sight of God, it is what? Of great price. He delights and treasures it. And this is where we don't, we often think of, okay, God blesses us when we are meek. Actually, our, our, our foremost thought ought to be this. God delights in it. And so I want to give God what he delights in. That's the heart of a worshiper. That's the heart of one who serves the Lord. God delights in something. I give it to the Lord. And so I say, Lord, you delight in that. I let me be meek. Grow me in this grace. But ladies, especially as this grace is applied to you and is greatly to be seen in you, never buy the lie that meekness is 
weakness for your sex, to exhibit kindness as we've considered it even in our series on uh, male and female relations in marriage is a great virtue that the Lord prizes. It's even naturally meant to be part of your sex. To have a gentle spirit, uh, to stand for the Lord in his ways is of great prize in his eyes. You know, what do though, the, what does the, at least the modern feminist movement want to do? They want to make you loud and obnoxious, sort of like a female version of Donald Trump. They would actually be quite delighted if you were something like that. But if you, you think of this, but when you confront them, and you kindly and with God-given strength say, no, I will follow the word of God, what will they do? They will tell you to shut up, right? They, you know, they don't want a strong woman. They, they don't want a strong godly woman. They just want a worldly man in female, not even clothes anymore. You might have said that one day. Um, they just want a, a, a female who is essentially a man. And that is not the way of the Lord. The irony is, if you stand strong and firm in meekness for the Lord, they will hate you and they will revile you, telling you it is not strong women they want. They have a devilish agenda. While time slipping away, we do have to cover the last heading, which is the blessedness. Now that we've had this character of meekness, I'll seek to be swifter in this. Well, you see here, Christ promises a blessing to those that are meek. What's the promise? They shall inherit the earth. And as I've said multiple points, this seems totally contrary to everything that we see around us. Now, let's first deal with that because if we knew what God promised, we would probably sleep much better at night. Because as Psalm 37 says, we would not fret because of evildoers. How often do you fret because of evildoers? Don't, the Lord says. The blessed meek will have the earth. No doubt of it. What did Psalm 37, as we heard it said, was the end of the evildoer to show us the blessedness of being meek? Psalm 37, 35, and 36. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet what? He passed away and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. You know, one day you will look around and say, where was that great wicked man who seemed to have the earth in his grip? Where has he gone? What happened to that guy? You will say, boys and girls. You know, you think of it today. You know, you think about the 40s, the 50s, and so on. Now you ask, where have Hitler and Stalin gone? Where are they? Can you find them, boys and girls? No, you can't, other than in the pages of history books. Now they are in hell. They thought they would have the earth. They have nothing. Nothing at all. And what of the titans of industry that seem to control everything? Where is Bill Gates now? Disgrace. Where is Steve Jobs? Dead. Wicked men will not inherit the earth. That is a mere illusion. Do not fret about it. But a lot of us do fret. No, the Lord says the meek will inherit the earth. Now there's something about that I think you ought to take heart in. First is it implies who has ownership of the earth. The Lord God does. Um, Wicked men don't. Men don't at all. Right? And then secondly, 
it says that a kind of person will inherit the earth. That's also a blessed thought. Now, not all people who outwardly seem to be meek are in view here. We know this is the Christian that is in view. But do you ever take note of the fact that it is said that they will inherit the earth? Not that they will own the earth, they will have the earth, but they will inherit the earth. Now, what is the the beauty of that word? It implies, it's built on the idea of you, Christian, being an heir. And so that goes beyond legal kinds of transactions, but a familial one. You know, the meek Christian is an heir of God adopted by him, having all the rights and privileges of the heirs or the sons of God. Christian, you are given a new birth. You are adopted into God's heavenly family, and you are now an heir of all that God has. That's the beauty of it. That's the glorious thought of this beatitude. That's what makes it shoot far beyond mere possession, but it establishes a relation as well. And that ought to cause us to wonder in astonishment. You know, it is often the great unbelief that we would look at a text like this and say we are an heir of God and it not fill us with awe. And that we would not become more meek in view of it as we ponder such a truth. Romans 8, 17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ, our elder brother who has brought us into God's own house. You and I, Christian, we are heirs of God. We inherit the earth from him. Because what? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That is the 24th Psalm, as you probably know. And we have an inheritance laid up for us. Now, the word earth has to be understood in view of Psalm 37. You can look at it again. You probably saw inherit the earth or inherit the land multiple times in that Psalm, not just this one beatitude there. And the word earth, the word land, it's the same word in Hebrew. And so translators have to decide whether they're translated earth or land. But in Psalm 37, what is in view is the land promise of Canaan. And so we find that the land promise, that's why often inherit the land is used, um, is what is in view there. But you know from Hebrews 11 and other places that the land promise was typological, which is why in the New Testament it is often translated earth. So it is wider than Canaan, which was just a shadow and a type. And so we know that the, what the saints were looking for in Hebrews 11 is in heavenly city, a heavenly inheritance. And so we see ultimately what is in view is heaven, a heavenly country we will inherit. And that we have no doubt that the millennial glory will come and there will be a Christianized earth, but it is not the final glory that comes with the resurrection where sin is fully and finally put away. 2 Peter 3.13 Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for what? New heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, who will inherit an earth where only righteousness dwells? The righteous, the Christian. The evildoer will have no part. Their inheritance, if you want to call it that, will be eternal torment. It is the wages of sin. And so let me remind you of that, friend, if you're not in Christ. You have no inheritance. You only have eternal misery. 
promised to you. But here the Christian, the one who turns to the Lord in humility and humbleness, inherits all things from God. And what a tremendous thing that is. Not just saved from your sin, Christian, believer, but you are given all things. All things given to you by God, made an heir of Christ. What grace, what blessedness then pours out to the Christian. And so Christian, even today, all things are yours. You go to bed resting well in that thought. Your inheritance is secure. The heirs have all things. That is what hope signifies after all, that you have a sure inheritance. And hope, the Bible says, does not disappoint. You have an inheritance laid up in heaven for you. And 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23, a wonderful meditation. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. Why are all things yours, believer? Because you are Christ. And Christ is God's. What Christ has, he gives to you, his bride. That's the beauty of it, isn't it? You will have all things because Christ has all things. But most of all, you have Christ himself. And really in view of that, inheriting all things is really just icing on the cake, isn't it? But you have Jesus. And the meek man or woman, this is the blessedness enjoys more and more of Christ in this life. And that's the primary blessing. They are blessed to know him. You think, especially as God opposes the proud, the meek one is closer to the Lord. They are, after all, more likely to go to Christ, first of all, when they have need of him, to submit to his will in all things. And they're likely in difficulties to say, ah, but I am Christ. And I will have all things. Let him do what seemeth him good. And they are truly blessed. Well, we'll have to leave the Beatitudes there. But again, children, easy to memorize. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. May the Lord use this simple but profound text to grow us in that grace. Amen. Amen. May God uh, be praised now. Psalm 22, 23 through 28 as we sing with praise to God. Praise ye the Lord who do him fear. Him glorify all ye. The seed of Jacob fear him all, that Israel's children be. For he despised not nor abhorred the afflicted's misery, nor from him hid his face, but heard when he to him did cry. Within the congregation great my praise shall be of thee. My vows before them that him fear shall be performed by me. The meek shall eat and shall be filled. They also praise shall give. Unto the Lord that do him seek, your heart shall ever live. Now this is the psalm of the cross as you well know, sung and thought of by Christ himself. Psalm 22, 23 to 28, the tune is Kilmarnock. Love.